Um, but I want to read to you uh, from Eugene Peterson's The Psalms again, uh, the message. Psalm 77, and it's like if you've, if you've been here uh, a time or two, um, you, sometimes you look at me like, well, that was really depressing. But we've got to go through the darkness because that's why God is so good. That's why it's good news. That's why it's good news that God comes into the darkness, right? Psalm 77 from the paraphrase, the message. This is the, the psalmist is crying out, feeling like God has abandoned again. Maybe you might be at a place in your life or you know somebody that's at a place in this uh, that resonates with this. I yell out to my God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. He listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. Sounds like a you know, stressed out teenager, right? right? When friends said, everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I remember God and shake my head. I bow my head, then wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute. Anybody have a lute? I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business. Just the moment I need him. Once again, I'll go over what God has done. Lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long, loving look at your acts. So this is a person that's just like your life and my life, that's in, in the stress of the moment, but then they're having moments where like, no, I can't think like this because I know God's character. I know that God is good. I need to, I'm going to lay out on the table. I'm just going to go back and what, what is the track record of God? Oh God, your way is holy. No God is great like God. You're the God who makes things happen. You showed everyone what you can do. You pulled your people out of the worst kind of trouble, rescued the children of Jacob and Joseph. Ocean saw you in action. And this is where we're going to go with the Mark text today because Jesus walks on water. We're all familiar with that. And this, is a, uh, this resonates from the, the biblical imagery that we see within the Mark text. Verse 16. Ocean saw you in action, God. Saw you and trembled with fear. Deep ocean was scared to death. Clouds belched buckets of rain. Sky exploded with thunder. Your arrows flashing this way and that. From whirlwind came your thundering voice. Lightning exposed the world. Earth reeled and rocked. You strode right through the ocean. You strode right through the ocean. Walked straight through roaring ocean. But nobody saw you come or go. Hidden in the hands of Moses and Aaron, you led the people like a flock of sheep. And obviously, chronologically, this is the Old Testament and Israel uh, possibly being an exile, a person that thinks that God has abandoned them because on the national level, on the political level, Israel continues to be the slaves of another empire. No different when Jesus arrives on the scene. Rome is the tyranny at that, at that moment. The Jews have a place and they function as a, uh, a pass-through, a toll booth to some degree with the temple and the sacrifices. 
Rome doesn't acknowledge Yahweh. This is this weird group of people called Israel. And Israel, they, they, they take Sabbath, which sounds like laziness to the nations. But God said, hey, this is one way that you're going to represent me to the world. You do other things like circumcision and at the, uh, the Olympic Games, when everyone's naked doing the Olympic Games, you're definitely known that you don't look like everybody else. You're going to stand out, you're going to be different, you're going to be set apart, not just to be weird, but you're going to be set apart because through your life, you're going to priest the world back to God. Jerry, if we can put the, the text up there for today. This account happens in all, it happens in three of the four Gospels. Luke doesn't seem to record this. A couple of images, like I always do, to try to get us to think uh, uh, in a mosaic and broken fragments of the pictures that Scripture are giving us. Because the Scriptures, every Scripture that you're reading, especially in the New Testament, is assuming that you understand what has happened beforehand. It assumes that you've spent your time not just Facebooking it, but you've actually understood what was God's dealings with humanity uh, prior to Jesus arriving on the scene. And then us inheriting this 2,000 years later and looking back. The scriptures um, say lots of things that you've you got to kind of take it from a, uh, you know those things that you look at and you stare at them when we were kids? I tried to explain this to my kids. I could never do it because I'm blind in my right eye. But you know those things that you stare at the image and eventually after you stare at it long enough that the image like emerges from it? They even made pencils. As a, I always wanted one, but I could never see the... <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, I don't get it. That's what the scriptures to me are a lot like. Um, in that, in that imagery where you stare at it long enough and it, things start to emerge and um, we discern that together. John has an interesting take on this passage of scripture. And last week I did not read it to you because it is fairly long. Uh, but I want to read just a little piece of it. It's in John chapter 6. If you haven't been here, we're going through the gospel of Mark and we started and we've, we've made it to... Uh, a couple weeks into this, God has shown up in Jesus, and this is what it looks like when God shows up. People are healed, demons are uh, shut up, and they're de- people are delivered from demonic oppression. Jesus has ticked off the religious establishment, and there was a point, a major turning point, where the Pharisees, those that represented God uh, for, for Israel, out among the public, they go to plot with the political group called the Herodians to kill Jesus. And so right out of the gate, in Mark's 16 chapters, this is, we've got God showing up, we've got things being made whole, people on the outside being brought in, and then the religious establishment plotting with the political establishment, which ends in Mark at the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is all happening in uh, real time across this. And Mark has chose what he wants to include, just like all the other gospel writers have chose what they wanted to put in their text. And they play with the words and they play with the scenes as they remember it uh, differently than each other. And so you get multi-perspective or a prism through which you can see this. Now, Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6. That's how John 6 starts. And as you get towards the end, uh, verse 14, Mark doesn't record this because Mark is shorter than the other Gospels. But you get toward the end uh, of the feeding of the 5,000 in verse 14 of John chapter 6. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. 
Israel's waiting for a Messiah, somebody to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. Now, remember the picture last week from the feeding of the 5,000. I didn't even go into the, the problems with that from a material or modern understanding of Jesus actually multiplying bread. And, of course, in the modern era, in the 20th century, the late 1800s and the early 1900s, scholars tried to talk about the loaves being something we, we had to make up. We had to, we had to fix the Bible because we didn't believe in miracles anymore. And so Jesus was, like, standing outside of a cave, and he had already had the disciples Go find a whole bunch of bread, which remember, 200 denarii, you know, uh, 200 days wages worth of bread to feed this 5,000 people. So modern scholars tried to make the Bible relevant and they said, well, Jesus must have been standing on the edge of a cave. And the, the disciples, you know, load up and had this huge inventory of bread. And so it looked like he was multiplying bread, which I didn't even go into any of that because, I mean, if you're at that point in your thinking, this... This is probably not even where we need to go. So that's, it's, but I highlight it because uh, maybe somebody thought that last week. Like, well, how do you, re- how do you reconcile uh, the Bible with these miracles? You know, Thomas Jefferson in the, the height of the Enlightenment, the poster boy of ripping out the miracles from the scriptures because he, didn't, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't take it. We're too smart for this kind of thing. But as we've noticed over and over again is that your life is a miracle, my life is a miracle, and things are not always as they seem. On a quantum level, things get really weird when you go really small, and they get really weird when you go really big. And you can put definitions to all those things. You can slice them and dice them. You can say, I'm a person of science, and I don't go over here to that category of faith. But the reality is, is that you're still working within a weird space. Your life and my life is a miracle. And uh, I think the scriptures philosophically, consistently back up the truth of the way that God has worked in the world and that Jesus died and rose again. There's my my profession for you this morning, and I hope you resonate with that. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and the people, Mark doesn't record this, he says, after he saw the sign, which that's a favorite word for John, uh, that this is a revelation, this is a sign, it's pointing to who Jesus is, they said that this is the prophet who came into the world. Verse 15, perceiving then, this is key because Mark doesn't record this, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him away by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Mark doesn't tell us that. Oh, why did he, why did he leave the feeding of the 5,000 into this next scene before he walks on water? Because the crowds have been pressing in. His popularity is escalating. His miracles are astounding. They're frustrating the religious establishment. And Jesus, every place he goes, he just keeps adding more people onto his entourage following the 12. You've got a magic bread maker. We definitely got to follow this guy. Everybody in the first century is hungry. They live with hunger. And John, later in this passage, when they find Jesus, like they, they go find Jesus on the other side of the lake. And Jesus is like, well, you didn't come to me for the reason I was revealing to you who I am. You came to me because I gave you bread. You were hungry. It's an interesting thing. But they're going to come take him by force to make him king because they see that he is the prophet. He's the promised Messiah. And he's going to take over and raise up and fight Rome and Israel will be restored to their place of prominence again. But what we find is that whenever time Jesus withdraws to by himself, it's to pray to the Father. And so we had that at the beginning when Peter 
when Jesus had went in the desert with the temptation with the enemy, and Jesus came out of that, and then Peter went looking for Jesus, which the Greek there gives us this picture that Peter wants to take Jesus away and make him king too. But that's not why Jesus has come, to be the king like everybody thinks an earthly king should be. We see later, chronologically, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, he retreats because of the temptation where he prays to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, take this cup from me. Is there any other way to go about this? We see this divine aspect to Jesus and we see this human side to Jesus where he's fully God, fully man. These are the tensions that the scriptures are giving us in the picture of revealing who Jesus is. Immediately, there's that word again. This is right after the disciples had seen Jesus multiply bread, feed 5,000 people. There's a military type picture there where they're all on this hill and they're grouped in these settings like they would look like they would rise up to fight Rome, which is probably why it's giving that picture to this group of people like, yes. Yes, we've got an army of 5,000. And of course, everybody, everybody is watching this gathering happen in the desert. Um, and Jesus is like lifting up the bread, right, to break it. And it looks like maybe, a, a, you know, an AR, <laughs> a sword, right? Jesus is breaking the bread and it looks like, yes, we're going to fight Rome. And of course, the disciples are in the dark a little bit. They don't understand what's going on. But Jesus told them to feed them. They fed them. They saw this happen. They picked up baskets left over. That's how much this miracle had should have impacted them. Immediately, he made his disciples. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So Jesus doesn't get into the boat. He sends his disciples and he dismisses the crowd, which Mark says that 34 times throughout his text that Jesus dismissed the crowd. He's got this authority with this group of people, but they keep trying to find him. Just like today, people are looking for Jesus, but all the characters that they're seeing from the church, we've got to be careful on how we display Jesus to the world. He dismissed the crowd. And after, and this is interesting too, to Bethsaida, that's not where they end up. They end up, they end up in Gesserinet, which is, remember where the guy that was in the graveyard was? But we're going to see through chapter 7 and we're going to see through chapter 8 What is happening here, and this is why this is so hard to preach through the text, because there's so many of these images happening, okay? I'm going to try to give this to you. And I don't don't write this stuff down because it would be so, like, monologue, boring, robot, robotronic, and you'd be like, okay, so I miss things. You're going to have to ask me what I meant by that. So we've got this image of bread. These are the bread chapters. There's lots of mention about this bread. The image of Jesus feeding 5,000 people goes back to the Old Testament of when God fed Israelites through manna. He was the provisional source for their sustenance to carry on on the journey away from the bondage of Pharaoh. Jesus is doing the same thing when he's talking about feeding the 5,000. There's this image, and John unpacks this even further because there's a dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees. So that's an image. We've got these bread images, which comes up in this, this passage as well. We've got this image of this group trying to take Jesus away to make him king. Jesus is leaving to go pray on the side of the mountain. He sends the disciples away to Bethsaida. But they don't end up in Bethsaida. They end up over in this Gentile outside of the promises of God group of people. 
And what we see through chapter 7 and through chapter 8 is this development of the disciples watching everything Jesus is doing, but they're kind of dumb. You ever feel like that when you're just like, I don't get what God's doing in the scriptures. I don't get what this is all about. The disciples, we come to the conclusion oftentimes that the disciples know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. You have box seats. Keep that through every moment that we're going through, Mark. You have a privileged filter through which you are seeing Jesus that nobody else saw Jesus through. That's why Mark's writing it, right? Jesus is going to encounter through chapter 7 and through chapter 8, he's going to encounter some more Pharisees. Pharisees that are mad because his disciples don't go according to the tradition of the elders by washing their hands. To which Jesus says, ah, you worship your traditions and your rules and you really don't know God. Then Jesus encounters this Syrophoenician woman who is completely outside of the bounds of God. And Jesus should not even be talking to her. Even the disciples are like, in Matthew chapter 15, the disciples are like murmuring to themselves like, Jesus... You should be talking to him. But what Mark is telling you, what Jesus does, is that every time you encounter somebody in the text, whether they're religious or they're the non-religious, every time Jesus interacts with them, what you find out is that usually it's the non-religious person that has faith. Jesus goes, yeah, see that person? They got faith. And then when he goes to the religious establishment who should have the things of God, he goes back and he critiques them and he says they don't have faith. And the disciples are in this in-between state. Are they in the inside with God or on the on the outside with God? Because the pagans surely don't know God. Those people worship whatever they want to worship. These guys have the temple, the place where God should be known, and they don't know God. So the disciples are like, I'm so confused. Just so confused in this whole thing, Jesus. But what we're going to see is that they end up in... The outsider territory, even though Jesus is sending them to the Bethsaida, and there's a whole bunch of explanations on why that happens. But I think it's because what Mark's doing, Mark ends up telling us about Jesus healing people that can't see, healing people that can't hear. And what did Jesus say in the parables back earlier in Mark? He said, it's, you've got to have eyes to see and you've got to have ears to hear that this is who God is because up to this point in history, God has been so muddled. So muddied in the water. God has been so mistaken through all of these rules. God has been mistaken through all of the religion. God has been mistaken that you expect God's character to be like this. But God is holy. And oftentimes he reveals himself the way he is. But we go find something else that we want about God. And then we go project that on the world and demand that of the world. Because then we can feel like we're in with God. So there's this insider, outsider language. I know that's belaboring the point and that's really long. And I love you. Um, what time is it? Because my clock says 1024. Is that? That's not. It can't be that. What is it? 1048. Whew. I got two verses. Here we go. He dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, Jesus left, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. So disciples send him out. He's up on the mountain. He saw that they were making headway painfully because the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's the middle of the night. But he came to him walking on the sea, which goes back to the deal of Jesus has got this stash of bread in a cave. I mean, if, you, if, if you're not trucking with this... Don't even read it. I mean, if God can't, if it's his setup and we can't get on board with that, that just, we're, we're beyond that. He came to them walking on the sea, and this is weird. 
Jesus meant to pass by them. What? God's walking on the water, or Jesus is walking on the water, right? And he's like, oh, what's up, guys? The wind is like, remember, we already saw this storm one time because Jesus was sleeping in the boat. God's been revealing through Jesus. Jesus has been revealing to them who he is by what he says and by what he does constantly throughout the text. Jesus has the authority over creation. The last storm that they were in, they asked, who is this that the winds and waves even obey this guy? And the question is never answered. Well, who can do that but God? The sea, just like the wilderness of the desert, is a place in the ancient mind. This is where monsters dwell. This is where demons are. That picture in Psalm 77 that we started with where he just strode across the waters. There's lots of images. It's in Job. It's in Habakkuk. There's these images of God just treading on the water. God is over the demonic in that ancient worldview of the sea. He's, he's just establishing who he is. And this language of pass them by, if you go back to Exodus chapter 33, please stay with me. I know I'm just shooting you, but you've got to write this down. In Exodus 32 is when Moses is on the mountain. And Aaron, they're like, the fellow Moses hasn't come back yet. So they go to Pastor Aaron and they say, hey, Aaron, that guy, that guy that led us out of Egypt, he's not coming back. So then Aaron fashions that golden calf. Remember that whole scene? Well, right after that, God's like, I'm done with these people. I'm just going to start over. I'm going to find a new group to share my character with. And Moses pleads and he, he, he changes God's mind. That's literally what the text says, that Moses pleads, intercedes, and he changes God's mind to save Israel. And right after that, in 33 and 34, we get a picture because then Moses has to get another set of Ten Commandments, right? Because he threw the other ones down. When he got down to the party, he dropped them and they broke. So now he's got to like chisel out some new ones. What's the very beginning to the giving of the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of that sin, out of that tyranny. Oh, and this is who I am. He goes to Moses and he says, hey, Moses, I, I, I will still stick with you. Moses says, show me your glory. Reveal to me. Show me your face. And God's like, you can't see my face and live. And so what he does is he says, well, I'll tell you what. I'll put you over here behind this rock and I'll pass by. And you can see my back. That's how they translate that. You can see my back. Rob Bell says that it's the Jewish uh, tradition that says that what that means is, is that I'll show you where I just was. That's about as good as you're going to get of who I am. But you're going to see what I do. You're going to see who I am by what I do. This same language in the Greek, of course, it's written in Hebrew. There's a Hebrew, there's a Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures. And every time that this pass by language is used, it's dealing with an epiphany. It's God trying to reveal to humanity something about who God is. And that's what this is right here in the Greek, that he meant to pass them by. It's not Jesus just like, oh, hope you can make it, hope you can row faster than the winds. That's not what's happening here. This is an allusion to the Old Testament. Again, Mark is trying to tell you that this is God. The scriptures do tell us that Jesus is God, and this is another explanation uh, through the text, through the continuous story of the scriptures, that this is the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt and will deliver humanity out of sin through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so that's why he is walking by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. 
You just got to love the scriptures. A phantasm. That's what, that's what it is. It's, a fan, it's this ghost because people don't walk on water. But God does. And people can't see God. But people can see Jesus who is God in the flesh. John 1.14. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. Which is usually the response in the scriptures to angels or epiphanies or God showing up. And then God having to say, but immediately, there's Mark's word, favorite word again. Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart. In the Greek, it is ego eimi. It is I am. Go back to what we were talking about earlier with, who is this God? Moses, to God, who are you? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am who I am. This is the Greek, uh, Greek equivalent of that, that don't be afraid. I am. Don't be afraid in your life because God has shown up in Jesus. Don't be afraid of all the dark nights where things don't make sense anymore and your life seems to be going down into a pit. When, when you feel like everything's falling apart, you got that illness, you got that relationship, you got that job that's not working out, you got all these things that just seem to be like cascading to the pit of hell. You just remember, you get out and you lay out those ancient and you retell those stories of who God is. You get back into the scriptures and you go back and you realize that this is who God has revealed himself to be. That this is the God who has shown up. That this is the God who raises the dead. This is the God who forgives. This is the God that includes the outsiders. This is the God that challenges the religious establishment with all of its rules. This is the God who's coming to save you. This is the only God that's coming to save you. And this is Jesus who's rising from the dead. And because of that, there is this promise that we will rise from the dead. Amen? That's, That's what this is about. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. Everything I've said, just delete it. Just realize that God's telling you, don't be afraid. You can trust Jesus because Jesus is God and this is how God is. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Matthew tells us that they worshiped him. You only worship God. The disciples worshiped Jesus. And this is the one I want to make into a bumper sticker, just for kicks and giggles. For they did not understand about the loaves. They didn't understand about the bread. What? Their hearts were hardened because they didn't understand about the bread. We don't even have the time. (laughs) These are the bread chapters. Everything Jesus has done up to this point should reveal to you that there's something going on in Jesus that has never gone on before. Everything that has been displayed to the disciples that they've watched, especially feeding 5,000 people from five loaves of bread, right? They didn't understand about it. What more sign do you need to, to get on the page with who God is revealing Jesus to be? I just love Mark's, it's just, it's funny to me. Yeah. So next time somebody's got a hard heart, you just say it's because you don't know about the loaves. That's what you say. You don't know about the bread. What kind of cult are you a part of? When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. Ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. 
Is there more there, Jerry? That's it. That's it. When you read it continuously, you don't really know where it ends. Because <laughs> these all fit together, right? These are the bread chapters, six, seven, eight. But do you remember when Jesus was in his hometown and he couldn't do any miracles there because there was no faith? He couldn't do that. That was just, that was, at, that was I think, the beginning of chapter 6. And I, my interpretation of that, which you can go play with that all you want. My interpretation is that Jesus could do no miracles there because they, they didn't have any faith. And my, my interpretation is that they didn't have any faith, so they didn't, they didn't even bring their sick friend Carl. Fred. Roger. Right? They didn't bring them. Just left, left Martha at home. Yeah, it's just Jesus. He grew up around the corner. Don't even come out to him. Don't even. But in the land of the Gentiles, the land that should not flock after Jesus, the disciples are getting a lesson in the way that God thinks about humanity, which is an embrace of everybody. The whole region began to bring the sick people in their beds, wherever they heard he was and wherever he came in the villages and cities and countryside. They laid sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment, just like the lady who we just saw made her way through the crowd and touched and had the bleeding stop from the 12 years of bleeding. And as many as touched it were made well. This is a boot camp for the disciples' understanding of who Jesus is, which therefore is a boot camp for you and I to decide if we're going to rejoice at the presentation that Mark's giving us of Jesus or we're going to reject the presentation of who Jesus is. That's all that the scriptures are doing. That's all Mark's doing. He's wanting to tell you, tell you about Jesus. That Jesus is your only hope and that he died and he rose again. He's coming again. That's, that's, the, that's, that's I know, five, five things to a better life. I only got one. Do not be afraid. Trust Jesus because he's the great I am. Amen.